to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. How many of you know that honor is a life-giving principle? A couple of people. Alright. So let me prove it to you. Exodus 20 verse 12, the New Living Translation says, Honor your father and mother. Then you will have a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Alright. So here God is talking about honor. He's saying, here it's in the context of honoring your parents. But he's saying, honor your father and your mother, and then you will have a long and a full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So there's a, a massive reward attached to, to honoring someone, specifically your parents in this, in this passage, but honoring people at large. And I think this demonstrates how strongly God's feel, God feels about honoring people. All right? You will have a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Then in Romans 12, verse 10, in the, the ESV translation. Um, before we get to this verse specifically, um, before, before the verse that I want to read to you, um, in the preceding verses, he's, Paul is writing about um, the fact that, that the church operates as a body, right? So there's different functions in the body, and but people have different roles, but everyone is important in order for the body as a whole to function like a healthy body, like a healthy organism. Um, and then he goes into the gifts you know, the gifts of the Father, also called the redemptive gifts, so leadership, mercy, prophecy, teaching, things like that. Um, and then, he says the following scripture, right, in Romans 12, verse 10. It says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Alright, and the heading of this specific piece is called Marks of a True Christian. Um, so this scripture, I just want to read it again, it says love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor specifically that last part outdo one another in showing honor the New King James says it slightly differently, it says in honor, give preference to one another Um, and I, I was thinking okay well, so outdo one another in honor, so actually like outperform one another in showing honor to the other person and giving preference to someone else in regarding them higher than yourselves actually there's a scripture in Philippians 2 that says esteem one another better than yourselves I was like okay well that's a that's 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 a challenge Um, and then I looked at the word honor the Greek the Greek word for that word honor is um, time and helps word studies define it as the following It says it's worth, especially as perceived value. That is, what has value in the eyes of the beholder. Or willingly assigning value to something. So, value, something that has value in the eye of the beholder. So I, for instance, love like raw leather and wooden products. A wallet or a bag or a cell phone cover. I've got a bamboo cell cell phone cover. Um, and that to me is beautiful, like raw leather and wooden products. And when I see that, I see the beauty in it, and immediately, immediately I, I place um, a sense of worth on that thing. 
because it's beautiful to you. Right? Um, and and that reminds me of what this what this word is is trying to describe. It says, "What has value in the eyes of the beholder?" Right? So you see something and you place value on that thing in your heart, in a sense, or willingly assigning value to something or someone. Um, and I was like, "Wow, okay." So outperform, outdo one another. Constantly try to give more honor than the person next to you. Constantly try to treat the people around you of a higher value than the person next to you is doing. And imagine, imagine everyone had, had to do that, right? And you had to try, you had to try to stay ahead of everyone doing that. Um, imagine what that would look like. How that would be. So much honor and respect in the room. Um, And you know, I was thinking about that and I was like, well, obviously, it seems like God feels quite strongly about this principle or this value um, that's called honor. You know, first talks about um, honor your father and your mother and um, we see the reward that comes along with that. It's one of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. Um, and then we see the scripture outdo one another in showing honor and we see the weighty meaning that honor has. So I was like, okay, well, let's just do that. Let's just show one another lots of honor um, treat one another with lots of value, with lots of respect. Place that person in your heart and your mind above yourself, their interest before yours. Um, but then I was like, okay, so then there's also, um, there might be some reasons why that's not always the case. I think um, two of the main reasons why it's not the case always is um, what I like to call familiarity and competition. Two are the main things. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about those two things tonight. Familiarity first. Um, if we think about things that perhaps withhold us from showing honor, uh, from having honor in our hearts toward other people, um, firstly in the body of Christ, and then also you know wherever we go, um, in our workplace, in our social groups, um, playing touches on Monday evenings, whatever the case may be. Um, so when we talk about familiarity, who's heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt? Okay, so that's a, a pretty well-known English saying. Um, what it means, according to Google, is that that expression, familiarity breeds contempt, means extensive knowledge of or close association with someone or something leads to a loss of respect for them or it. Right. So familiarity breeds contempt. Extensive knowledge of or close association with someone or something leads to a loss of respect for them or it. Um, contempt is actually one of the synonyms for dishonor. Right? So if you think about familiarity, it leads to dishonor. Um, and dishonor is basically to treat something or someone as common or ordinary. You know, if you think about dishonor, if I think about dishonoring someone, I'm like, well, that's, you know, maybe it's like cursing someone, you know, or like ignoring someone or whatever, but actually the standard for that is much higher. Here it says that dishonor is treating something or someone as common or ordinary. Um, so I was like, okay, so familiarity, let's see what that, that looks like from Scripture. Um, so in Luke 4, we find, um, we find Jesus has just, he's just been released into his ministry after he was baptized, and he's in the... Um, He's in the temple, and he gets up and he reads from Scripture. And he reads the following Scripture. 
He reads, this is in Luke 4, it says, he's quoting Isaiah, a prophecy for the Messiah that's coming. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Right? So he says, he reads the scripture about the Messiah, he says, I have been anointed, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news, to do all these things. And then he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I am that Messiah. Right? And let's see what happens then. Mark 6 has reference to the same, the same instance, but it gives a bit more detail on the people's responses. So I want to continue with Mark 6. Um, it says, And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is, that, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, The prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his, his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So we see probably one of the most profound prophecies about the coming Messiah ever. And he reads this, and the audience is Jews, right? These are people that are being oppressed by the Romans and they're sort of calling out, they're waiting for the Messiah to come and to liberate them. And then he reads this prophecy and he says, I am he, I am that Messiah, I am here today. And then they think, well, aren't you, aren't you Joseph's son? We know you, you grew up here, you like made the tables and chairs that's in our kitchen. Um, your sisters are friends with, with my kids. We, we know you are, right? We saw you growing up. We would have known if you were the Messiah. And they were offended at him for making such a claim. And as a result of that offense in their heart, as a result of that dishonor in their heart, the fact that they did not honor Jesus for who he really was, he could do no mighty work there. And that's, that to me is quite an alarming scripture because it says he could do, not he did not want to, he could not do any great work there except for heal a few sick people. And so the power of Jesus is actually limited because of people not receiving him and showing proper honor for who he is. And so that to me is a picture of familiarity. We know you. We know you. You're not that guy. You're not, you're not anything special. Please don't come here and pretend that you know, you're more special than us. Um, and that actually withheld them from the reward that they had been crying out for. All right. um, and then in the end it says he marveled at their unbelief. Contrast that with the following story. Um, it's found in Matthew 8 about the Roman centurion. Right? Um, that scripture goes as follows, and it says, When he had entered Capernaum, this is Jesus, um, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. 
Remember what I said about what he said about the Jews, the religious community? He marveled at their unbelief. Of the Roman centurion, a heathen, he says, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And just see how, how the centurion addresses Jesus. He calls him Lord. Right? He's actually in a position of authority over Jesus. Jesus is a civilian in his eyes. He's a Roman centurion. He's delegated the authority of the Roman Empire. Um, and he calls Jesus Lord. And he says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under the, under the roof of my house. Please just speak a word. I know you can do this. And look at his reward. His servant was healed that instant because of the honor and the faith that he showed toward Jesus Christ. John Bevere says an interesting thing. He says, often God will send something you need in a package you don't want. Right? You see the package and it's like, that looks average, I don't want that, and you never open it. But actually what's waiting inside is exactly what you've been waiting for. Um, another story related to this, I was, um, when I, I did a secondment for Deloitte in, in America, um, in uh, the beginning of 2014, and I, I had the privilege of visiting one of the big churches in America, and um, I attended their ministry school for a few days. Um, they allow visitors, you can attend up to five days for free, and um, I experienced this incredible honoring there. I, you know, I was, a, I was a stranger, and but people came up to me and, the, and they talked to me, and they, after a while, they would they would call out positive things that they saw in me. They'd be like, "Oh wow, you know, we really appreciate you know you have such a calm demeanor," or you know, and they, they just started saying a lot of positive things about me as they got to know me better, and I felt so celebrated, even though I didn't know any very many people there and it was a very um, new environment for me I felt so at home and I felt so celebrated and I asked them you know what's what's up with this and they said that honor is actually honor is one of their core values something that they're very intentional about something that they're very deliberate about they want to honor people and they want to honor each other and um, you can you can just experience the presence of God when you go there um, they also they also see a lot of they see a lot of healings. They see a lot of miracles. Um, and I, I personally believe that those two are related. Um, and one of the senior leaders at this, at this, church's, um, at this church, he, he told a story about one of his students. And she, she told him, well, he found out that she, when she meets someone for the first time and they're a believer, then she will ask them, so what are the prophetic words that have been released over your life? One of the words is that God has spoken of you to people or whatever. And um, then they would tell, tell her, and she, she would make a very deliberate point of meditating on that and reflecting on that and, and writing it down. Um, and he, this leader asked her, that's kind of a strange thing to do. No one else does that. Why, why do you do that? And she said, I want to I treat people the way that God sees them. So when I know what God speaks over people, then I can treat them like that not according to their shortcomings um, you know, or my perceptions. Um, and that also challenged me quite a bit. So if you say familiarity, that sense of, yeah, I know you. I know you. I've, I've grown up with you. you know, um, That is sometimes a stumbling block in showing honor to someone. The second one, um, competition. Competition in terms of, um, I think a lot of times many of us easily feel intimidated if someone has a different, 
different gifting or a different talent or a different personality from I. Right? And then there's that, that comparison. Especially in a certain community, if one gifting or one personality is, is regarded as more special or more exciting or more desirable, and someone has that and you feel that you don't, and you constantly measure yourself against that person. And you're like, oh man. You know? And secretly you try to you try to prove yourself to that person or to those people. And you're in conversation with those people. They might share a testimony and then you're tempted to share a testimony that's perhaps just a little bit better, you know, to prove that, uh, you know, God uses me too. And, uh, you know, have you, anyone ever experienced that? I certainly have. Um, so, so that's what I mean about competition. And, and closely with competition, I guess it starts with a comparison and a, perhaps sometimes a discontentment with self, all right? And um, constantly comparing. And a story that I want to tell to, to illustrate this is, is my own story. Um, I, I, if you, when you think about the five, the five um, gifts of the sun, um, you know, the, the ministry offices, it's, you know, apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and pastors. And of those five, I'm probably more pastoral. Um, and for a long time, I saw that as weak. I saw that as, I, I picked up from a few people when I was at university that the pastor is perceived as soft. And as the guy that just wants everyone to feel nice and, you know, he's that guy and, you know, he doesn't really make an impact in the world. He's just, you know, the, the guy that's like sweet and, you know, harmony and, and all of that. And, and, I knew, I knew that, that God had created me to be a bit more pastoral, you know, rather than evangelical. But um, I, I didn't like it. And one of, the, one of, my, one of my spiritual mentors was um, a very strong evangelist. Really anointed evangelist. Um, and, you know, my wife is a, is a really anointed prophet. And, um, and I would see these offices and I would be like, Oh, those are so much cooler. <laughs> you know. I would see I would see this guy and he's preaching and people get saved and he's just like focused and souls for the kingdom and you know, and then I would see people with a strong prophetic anointing and it's just these amazing words that transforms hearts in a minute and you know, and, and I was like, oh, I'm just a nice guy, you know, I'm just that guy. Oh, he's suitable for like a small group facilitator and he will make everyone feel welcome and um you know, and I, I be honest, I despised it a little bit in my heart, that, that aspect of myself. Um, and whenever I saw that those, those other aspects, those other giftings, I was like, wow, oh, I wish I could be like that. And, um, and, and, and last year when, when Lauren and I was in San Francisco, we, we, we attended a, a conference, a church conference in one of the churches in California. And, um, and God really started speaking to me about, about the pastor. And I actually saw, I saw a guy there at this conference who he is the senior. Um, he probably fulfills the role of the pastor in there. Um, call it their A team, you know, the prophet and the apostle and all of that. He's probably the pastor in that team. And I just saw such authority in this guy. I just saw, you know, him walking in his pastorness, right? He was just like bold in being a pastor, and he, you just felt so loved when you sat under his ministry. You just felt so accepted. And you felt like, wow, I really belong. You know, I can really like go out and do stuff. Um, and Lauren and I got talking afterwards and I, I, I sort of, I 
confess this mindset of, you know, really just finding out about myself. And I actually realized that I, I dishonored, you know, even what God had placed in me. And as soon as I repented of that and I said, wow, you know, I'm, I'm excited about being more pastoral. Um, God really released me in that. You know, and he, he showed me more of who, who I am in that role. And it was, it was no longer something for me to, to hide or something to like, you know, it was like, awesome, this is, this is actually, you know, the best of the five officers. Um, just <laughs> that's just a joke. Um, but God brings restoration. And something that ties in with this is, is something that I heard. Who of you have been on missions to Malawi? Um, who knows Pastor Henry from Malawi? He's the biggest Malawian that you will ever see. He's uh, sort of average size for South Africans, but for Malawians, he's pretty up there. Um, and I attended a, a sermon of his um, shortly after we got married, and he preached on love. And he made the following statement, which really um, stuck with me. He said, when we treat people according to their mistakes, their weaknesses, and their failures, we help the devil to destroy them. But when we treat them the way God sees them, we help them to become who God has created them to be. Right? When we treat people according to their weaknesses, mistakes, and failures, we help the devil to destroy them. But when we treat them the way God sees them, the way God sees them, we help them to overcome who God has created them to be. And personally for me, that is the best definition of honor. Is treating someone the way that God sees them. By the value that God places on their life. If you're honest about it, then all of us actually were created in the image of Christ. Um, in the image of God. And the value of something is determined by the price for the highest bidder, right? The highest price that someone is, is willing to pay for that thing. And Jesus sacrificed his life. Um, a perfect life. And he said, my blood is the price. That is the value that I place on you. Um, um, so that challenges me. And I really experienced something of this on, on Wednesday night. We were at, I was at, at one of the small groups, at the Santon small group. Um, and they had a, a multiplication small group. So they um, sent, sent a few people from their small group to plant a new small group in the area. And there was, there was such honor present at this meeting. Um, they were very deliberate about it. They were very intentional about it. But they actually, they made, they made the new small, small group that they're sending out sit on a couch. And then, you know, the small group facilitator opened up and he, he honored the people that were there for the first time. He said, so, you're so welcome. You know, we're so happy to have you here. You know, make yourself at home. Um, we really want to say that you're welcome. And, and then, you know, these, these people sat on this couch and, they went through and each person, we focus on each person one at a time and we just honored them, we just celebrated them for who they are, for the gifts that they are and for the value that they bring um, you know, and, and who, who, we, who we believe God has created them to be and it was, it was so precious and the presence of God was so tangible at that small group it's, it's really been, it's been a while since I've, I've experienced the presence of God like that at a small group and I really believe it's because the Holy Spirit was so pleased with what happened there. 
You know, these people who, who know each other well, they've been in small group together for a long time. Um, and it's actually, you know, it's, it's a bit of a sad thing, and it's a bit of an uncomfortable thing because we're now becoming two groups and the, the dynamic of the group will probably change and we're gonna miss you. And, you know, it actually surfaced that, that, that night that there was a lot of conflict, you know, over the last few months in the small group between individuals. But they were able to talk about it. They were able to bring it up without any bitterness in their hearts. Um, and that sense of honoring each other I really believed unlocked such a grace over that small group. So essentially, honor is a is an issue of the heart, right? I mean, if you think about what God says, they honor me with my, their lips, but their heart is far from me. So, um, so that's not the type of honor I believe God wants to wants to see. Honor is an issue of the heart. You know, flattery is actually not that cool, and I think a lot of times people people confuse flattery with honor or celebration or affirmation. The flattery is saying nice things so that you can get something in return. Honor is I honor you and I place you above me because I esteem you of higher value. Um, and that is that is how God asks us to relate to each other. So um, if honor is an issue of the heart then we really need to ask God to give us heart full of honor. A heart to, uh, to honor other people. And um, and I believe he wants to do that. I believe he wants us to, to grow in that honor for each other. Showing that honor for each other. 